Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, January 12, 2020. The share IDs for Friday, January the 10th are the following. For the 7 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 13,949, that's 13949. For the 10 a.m. Big Eastern Time Big Book Study, 13,955, that's 13955. This morning, A Vision for You presents Simple But Not Easy. We come to this program as a result of the suffering and frustration we experienced in our disease of compulsive overeating. As real compulsive overeaters, we are bodily and mentally different from others. We can't control the amount we eat because of the allergy of our body, and we can't stop and stay stopped because of our mind. We are stuck in a vicious cycle. The big book was written as a set of directions for doing the 12 steps leading us to the road to freedom. As the book took form, recovered alcoholics inscribed in it the essence of their experience. It was the product of thousands of hours of discussion. It truly represented the collective voice, heart, and conscience of those who had pioneered the first four years of Alcoholics Anonymous. They were freed from their vicious cycle. The 12 steps as outlined in the big book, represent a process of spiritual awakening, a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery, sufficient to overcome compulsive overeating. We submit to a simple process that is not easy, yet takes us to a place we've never been. Joining us today to share her remarkable story To freedom is Lydia T., a recovered compulsive overeater from Michigan, and I'm grateful and pleased to welcome Lydia T. to the line this morning. Welcome, Lydia. Hi, Leah, can you hear me? I hear you well. Okay, I'm I'm ready. Um, First of all, I would just like to say a quick set-aside prayer so that I can hope that my words are um, led by my higher power. Um, God, please help me set aside everything I think I know about myself, about the 12 steps, about the big book, the meetings, my disease, and you, God, so that I may have an open mind and a new experience with all these things. Please let me see the truth and please let me speak the truth today. Um, I'm going to start out and just give a little background of my history and then, um, you know, what led me to um, OA and how I've been changed and what my life looks like today. Um, You know, my childhood was pretty unremarkable as far as um, compulsive overeating goes. Um, You know, I was raised with an alcoholic father, which is, I think, pretty common for people um, it wasn't, I didn't, it wasn't terrible. My life wasn't really horrible growing up. Um, my food issues when I was young were probably a little different than others. I had a fear of food. I, 
I didn't want to eat anything. I only had several items that I would um, eat. And usually they had to be fixed by my mother or I didn't like them. Um, you know, I went on through childhood and, you know, my mom, you know, kind of was really frustrated with me and my eating. And so I learned how to cook my own foods at a young age that I would that I would eat and were acceptable to me. Um, and food really wasn't that important to me. I just needed food for nourishment. But the funny thing I will say is that I, I always would eat anything sweet. Um, you know, that that was a given. Um, but other foods were frightening to me. And I think there was more fear in other things. And it just manifested in the food. Um, and, you know, I was thin as a child and in middle school and I didn't really have any issues as far as uh, body image until I started to develop and um, and then I was a little bit afraid of my body and what those things might be. Um, you know, at a fairly young age, I turned to drinking in high school and um, I really didn't go down the drug road, thank, thank God for that. Um, you know, I smoked and I like to I like to drink with my friends and I felt ease and comfort when I would when I would drink in social situations that I found uncomfortable. Um, I did okay in high school and you know, I was an average student. Um, you know, my drinking never really got me in trouble. My eating didn't get me in trouble. I um I was not athletic at all, so I never exercised. I was a normal normal weight um growing up in the eighties. Um, I think um, I didn't even consider anything about my weight. Um, I had a few times where I thought, geez, I want to lose weight and go on a diet, and that probably lasted for about a day. Um, I, uh, my drinking took more greater, greater uh, importance in my life after I graduated from high school and I was working, and believe it or not, I worked in a food business for many years. I was a waitress. And, um, you know, I didn't really worry about food because wherever I worked, I ate. Um, I probably usually only ate one meal a day, and it was probably never good food. And, in fact, I know it wasn't. Um, and then I would drink, and then I would wake up, and if I felt really bad, I would eat a lot of sugar, and that would make me feel good, and then I could drink again after work the next day. Um, when I was um, 19 years old, um, I got into a little bit of trouble with my drinking while I was going to college, and I did go into an alcohol treatment center, and, you know, that was pretty um, pretty common in the 1980s that people did that. It wasn't even, didn't even seem like it was that big of a deal because a lot of people I know had done that. At that time, I was introduced to the big book. Um, my sister also had gone through alcohol treatment several years prior so I did know a little bit about the 12 steps and I did um, I did attend Al-Anon at that time as well and so I went through the steps I was in a hospital setting and I was there for 30 days and um, I got these little worksheets um, and I filled them out and I did steps one two three I wrote out a step four and I did a step five with a um, with a priest um, nobody told me that you needed to finish up the rest of the steps. I didn't even, I mean, I knew there were, you know, <laughs> I knew there were steps 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12, 
but I figured, you know, I did my step five, I got my medallion, I was fine. I went to some groups afterwards and attended a few AA meetings. And then a short time after that, I decided that that wasn't for me and I started drinking again. But I knew I would know better and do better because I had the self-knowledge that I gained while I was in my treatment program. Well, you know, things progressed and um, college did not work out for me. I uh, dropped out and um, lived with a couple of girlfriends, which, you know, we were all working as waitresses and we let, led a pretty good life and could afford to live and, um, you know, have some parties and hang out with our friends. And um, so my eating wasn't even a problem at that point. Um, my girlfriend and I uh, moved to Florida. I thought maybe if I moved away that little geographical relocation that that would help me. Well, that made things worse. Um, and I, at that time, also was feeling, um, you know, maybe my body was getting a little bit too big. Um, I probably at the time weighed 145 pounds and thought that I was a little overweight. Um, I just noticed it, but I didn't do anything about it. Um, continued on. I ended up moving at home because I thought, I, you know, I better go to college finally and get that taken care of so I can get a real job. Um, hoping that my drinking wouldn't interfere, and it did one more time. I did drop out of school again. I think that was the third time. I'm not quite certain. I just know I had three, three, three times as a dropout. Um, at that time, I met my husband, who happened to be a bartender, and um, we started dating and fell in love. And at that time, um, drinking took a backseat. I didn't really want to drink anymore. But with my um, with my husband, I like to eat. Um, I like to cook for him, and I like to make meals. And um, I started gaining weight, and I was a little alarmed, like, what's going on here? Um, I didn't know what to do, so I just kept eating. Um, and, you know, our relationship was good. Um, we had our good times and bad times. Um, I, I had a sense that my husband was perhaps an alcoholic and, you know, I was okay with that. I loved him. I thought we could uh, get through this together and we would have a happy life. Um, so I continued eating. He continued drinking and I would drink in between with him in between my eating at that time. Um, I was concerned about my weight as I know my husband was, but he never said anything um, he was very kind and loving and really has never said anything to me in the 30 years we've been together about my weight. Um, we had talked about marriage and I decided that I had better go on a diet. So I went on a diet and, um, I joined a, you know, a diet club and I was very successful. I lost all my weight. I felt good. I felt that I looked good. I was at a healthy body weight. Um, at that time, it was about 30 pounds that I had lost. And my husband and I were planning on getting married. Um, and lo and behold, I got pregnant <laughs> as those things seemed to happen. So we um, decided that we really needed to get married a little sooner. And so we did. Um, and we got married in October of 1991. Um, 
and we, you know, everything was great. Um, I went on to continue to eat quite a bit during my pregnancy. I gained um, 60 pounds or more with that pregnancy and uh, delivered a healthy baby boy. Um, I was very concerned about my weight. And again, I went back to the, um, you know, the, the diet club and, um, you know, it, it took me longer to lose it this time. I probably took at least a year to lose the weight. So when my son was a year old, I, I was feeling pretty good again. Um, I have had then throughout my life, throughout the time that I found um, Overeaters Anonymous, I have had this history of things happening in my life, um, gaining weight, and then realizing that I'm heavier than I want to be and turning to whatever diet was in fashion at the time or whatever I could research and find and whatever I could do to um, lose the weight after this, whatever happened, you know, um, two years after my first son was born, I got pregnant again, um, had our second son. And after I delivered our second son, which I had gained even more weight um, with that pregnancy, um, I really didn't have any successful weight loss for probably nine years. So he was nine or 10 years old until I was able to even have any successful weight loss. Uh, My husband and I both um, went to college after our sons were born and finished and both did very well in school, um, even though I was a compulsive overeater and he was a, a practicing alcoholic at the time, we were very successful. Um, he uh, finished school, went on to be a teacher, and I am a registered nurse. And we did very well in our professions, but it was very stressful, so I ate a lot during those years. Um, About the time that my son was nine or 10 years old, I decided that it was time to once and for all finally conquer all the things that I needed to conquer. Of course, I'm going to say loosely, hear the words I'm using, the I word. I was going to finally um, lose weight. I was going to finally quit smoking. I was going to get our finances in order. I was going to um, make sure that our house was clean and become a very good mother and maybe not yell as much as I had during that time of the growing up years of my my two older boys. So I set out on this plan of action that I had and I was successful in my weight loss. I was and the funny thing happened is I lost the weight and I did quit smoking and my house was kind of clean and my bills were all in order and I wasn't happy. I was just as miserable, probably more miserable because I didn't have food or cigarettes to turn to. And I thought, what am I going to do? Um, So at my workplace, there was an employee assistance program and I thought I had better try therapy. That must be the answer. So I did try therapy and my therapist was a wonderful woman and she said, you know, I think you really should go to Al-Anon. 
And I did. I went to Al-Anon and I um, found a whole new world was opened up to me. And I really started looking at myself and what I was doing with um, my behaviors and how I was treating others and my codependency. And, you know, that was great for a time. And during that time in my life, my husband and I separated. um, And we were separated for for not a very long time. And he decided that perhaps he ought to um, try to quit drinking. And so he did. He went to AA and he was he was successful. Um, You know, uh, he quit drinking on January 17th, 2005. And um, by the grace of God, he's never had a drink since. We started dating again. Um, He lived away and um, it was wonderful. I was didn't have a lot of expectations. I had enough program. Um, through the Al-Anon that I knew that just to be open and willing. And um, I ended up getting pregnant at that time. And we now have a almost 14-year-old son. Um, Again, at that time that my husband left and we were going through our problems, I was at a healthy weight. And um, I don't know how I did it, but I did. And then things started going downhill again. Um, briefly, I'll just share that, um, you know, our older sons got older. Um, we had a little baby at home. My husband was in recovery. Um, life was really good. Um, my, my weight was not where I wanted it, but I knew that with hard work and if I persevered, I could um, lose the weight again. Um, about 10 years ago, our oldest son was 17, and he ended up having some drinking problems. Um, and some emotional issues and anxiety. And um, that was a very difficult time in my life and as it was for my husband and the rest of our family. Um, My oldest son, you know, at the time, um, in hindsight, um, he had some eating issues as well, which, you know, I'm sure he comes by his drinking and eating issues naturally by being raised by an alcoholic and a compulsive overeater. Um, And he ended up having some bulimia and anorexia and alcohol issues and uh, attempted suicide on several occasions um, during his senior year of high school. And it was, um, you know, a really devastating time, but I was able to get through it with God at that time. Um, I really finally turned to God and turned to my higher power because I knew I was licked as far as that was concerned. I couldn't, there was nothing more that I could do to help my son. Um, I did everything I could and it wasn't working. Um, and I will say by the grace of God, he's still alive today and he's, he's doing well. Um, and that's not by anything that I did. I, uh, you know, let's fast forward a little bit. Um, throughout those um, year, the last 10 years between when my son had all those difficulties and um, is and today, my weight would go up and down and up and down. And um, it depended, you know, where my weight was, how I was feeling and what I was doing. And 
um, a couple years ago, I thought, you know, this is enough is enough. I had heard of um, Overeaters Anonymous, but I was unwilling to accept the fact that um, food was the same as alcohol. Um, in my experience, alcohol was damaging and could kill, and I didn't believe that food could kill. Not at that time. I was not convinced. So I think I needed to eat a little bit more to become convinced. Um, and I will say that my weight, I probably lost over a 1,000 pounds in my lifetime, but at my heaviest to where I am now is about 70 pounds that I've lost, maybe 80 at the most. Um, but I was a, such a fluctuator. Uh, people I don't think ever kind of knew how I was going to show up, if I was going to be the, the heavier Lydia or the thinner Lydia. People didn't really know my I was the the roller coaster, um, and that's how my emotions were at that time. My emotions followed, and um, you know I feel very badly for the people that I worked with during those years because my emotions um, at that time were mostly taken out in my workplace. I I had really done well with dealing with my family. Um, not as well as I could have been if I was in full recovery. The Al-Anon helped, but it wasn't it wasn't the last piece of the puzzle that I needed because I still was an addict. Um, but it did help. Um, so I knew that I needed something else. I had lost some weight. I'd had some success with a food plan um, that was based on a Food Addicts Anonymous plan. There were none of those meetings in my area. And there was only one Overeaters Anonymous meeting that I'm going to tell you, and a lot of people are going to laugh, it would take me, it was probably 10 miles away from my home, maybe 15, and I didn't want to drive there. So I made an excuses, and it was on a Monday, and it was in the morning, and I didn't want to go to that meeting because that was, you know, that was way too far for me to drive um, because I am very selfish in nature, and I, I couldn't be put out like that. Um, and for whatever reason, I saw a post on Facebook that uh, had mentioned a vision for you. And I thought, wow, this is a phone meeting. I could call in and listen. And at that time, I had left my job of 15 years that um, I left because I had a huge fallout with a coworker. It was horrible and terrible. And it was all as a result of me um, stepping on the toes of my fellows. And of course, I didn't see it at that time. But because of that, I took a new job and I work in the afternoon now. So I believe God led me to go through the things that I went through so that I had um, my mornings free. And I started listening to the seven o'clock meeting while I was getting my son ready for school and doing my chores in the morning. And I started listening every morning. And then I started listening from 7 until 9, and then I would call back in at the 10 o'clock meeting, and I would listen. And I thought at first, oh, these people are really serious. I'm not sure that I like this. Um, they're really serious, and I didn't understand what entire abstinence was. I had no idea what they meant. And I, was li and I went back and listened to the podcast on what is and what do you mean by entire abstinence. And there were several of them that I listened to, and... So I was getting an idea of what that meant. I was still afraid to um, 
put my name out on the line and I was afraid to get a sponsor because I, I just had this fear in me that I, that I was going to fail um, because I had failed every other um, quote unquote diet that I had tried in my life. And I was afraid to fail at this as well. I, I had a deep feeling inside of me that this was my last chance. That if I didn't do it this time, I didn't know if I was ever going to be able to do it again. And I knew I needed something more than a diet. I knew I needed something more. I needed it. I remember feeling when my husband quit drinking that he quit drinking and he was not crazy anymore. And why was I still crazy? I just couldn't get it. Even when I started listening, I didn't realize that it was the food that made me crazy, that it was my behaviors around food and my addiction, and that I needed to fully concede to my innermost self that this was a real thing, that what this just wasn't a little quote-unquote food problem that I was experiencing, and I needed to lose a few pounds. Because even though my body looked good where it was at that point, and I was at a healthy body weight because I had lost most of my weight, um, I don't know that I would have been able to keep it off or go on to lose the rest of the weight that I've lost through going through Vision for You, um, which really just is a healthy OA meeting that I, for whatever reason, I believe God knew that I am a skeptic and that I question everything, and I thought I knew everything. So he led me to a healthy place to start. Um, at first, I thought there were people on the line that were kind of a little bit fanatical and maybe a little cult-like, and I thought, ooh, it kind of scared me. Um, I had a good feeling about my God that I knew, but I also kind of was afraid. Um, but I, the funny thing was, even though I had the fear, I woke up every morning and I listened every morning. I would, the first thing I would do is I would run downstairs and start getting to work on my chores that I needed to get done and get my son up so I could put my ear, earbud in my ear and I could listen to the meeting in the morning. And then one day I got, I, I got up the courage to put my name out that I was a newcomer and I received these calls and I was so, I was so overwhelmed that I thought, oh my gosh, these people really actually are going to call me and they care about me and they want to, they want to know about what's going on with me. I was, I was in shock. Um, I stopped answering my phone. That's how many phone calls I got. I was afraid to talk to any more people. Um, but I did keep listening, and I never returned many of those phone calls because I was afraid. And then one day I got up the courage to call somebody to sponsor me, and it, it, the times didn't work out that I had asked her to sponsor me. And so then I listened on the line again, and I heard somebody put out that they could sponsor in the morning, and I thought, well, you know what? Maybe that's what I need to do is call that person, and I did. And um, she was the first person that agreed to sponsor me, and she's still my sponsor today. And um, she took me through the steps. And I have to say, um, it probably wasn't easy for her because I thought I knew a lot of things. And um, I was a, you know, I was not all that teachable in the beginning. Um, in the very beginning, um, we were just reading the very beginning of the book, the prefaces, and um, 
I had a relapse. It wasn't a large relapse. It was very small in nature, but I didn't eat my planned food. And I decided that it was probably best to eat uh, two tablespoons of peanut butter for dinner one night. And of course, it was the day after Thanksgiving, and I may have been feeling a little deprived because I didn't get to partake in all of my favorite foods that I had in the past of the rest of my life. And um, I didn't call my sponsor and I didn't call anybody else. I waited till our next scheduled time to speak. And I spoke with her and she was very kind and loving, but yet she was firm enough that as she needed to be. And she instructed me to find two recovered people to read the doctor's opinion with. And I was devastated. I felt like I had failed, that I wasn't going to get this thing and that this wasn't going to work. But what I did that day is I got down on my knees and I prayed and I really allowed, I allowed God in and through the people that I spoke with on the line that day, they gave me the hope that I needed. I called two recovered um, compulsive overeaters and they read with me in the book and they answered questions that I had and they were kind and they were not judging of me. And that gave me the hope that I needed to continue. And uh, of course, my sponsor at that time wanted me to read again with her. And I was, I just have to laugh now because I, well, I have things to do. I, you know, I have to, you know, I'm going away this weekend. I'm seeing my granddaughters and, you know, I'm going to have my mother with me. And I thought, okay. Um, there, you know, I'm just going to state there is a there is a line in the in the big book that um, really spoke to me, and it's the part about thus common sense becoming uncommon sense. And I thought, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with this, and I'm gonna do the exact opposite because in the book on page 13 it says I was to test my thinking by the new God consciousness within. Common sense would thus become uncommon sense. And so what I did was I did the exact opposite that I would usually do. I agreed that I would call my sponsor. And I I thought, well, you know, I'm going to be in a hotel room with my mother and my granddaughters are going to be sleeping. And I went in the bathroom and it was some ungodly early hour. And I can't believe she agreed to even talk to me because it was like 530 my time and she's in mountain time. And she agreed to speak with me at that time. And we went through all of um, Bill's story, and that was my that was my beginning. And I I still like to think about that uncommon sense um, because my common sense is what got me to where I was, got me to where I was so crazy in my mind um, that even though I had had that little breakthrough and I was able to feel God, I was able to feel that little bit of hope and feel that my higher power was on my side, that I was going to say no, and I was ready to close the door. But so that was my common sense, and I decided to do the exact opposite. And um, throughout her taking me through the book and really sharing her um, strength and her wisdom and her patience, I might add patience, because um, I did not want to do this. I kept thinking, well, I'll go ahead and I'll go through the steps and, you know, I probably, I'm not going to want to work with others because I might do a little bit, 
But, you know, I'm a busy person and I have, you know, I have a lot going on. I have, you know, my family to think of and uh, my job, which is so important. And, um, of course, it's not that important I see today. I mean, my job is important, but I'm not that important in my job, let's say. Um, And I would think these things and then I would keep reading with her and keep doing a little bit more work and it would be cracked open a little bit more. Um, you know, and I guess I, I have written down a few things that, that are really um, one of the things I want to read that's on page 14 of the big book um, that really, that, that, is a, um, that is a topic of this talk, simple but not easy, a price had to be paid. It meant destruction of self-centeredness. I must turn in all things to the Father of light who presides over us all. And when I think about that, I think about the simple but not easy. In in concept to me, going through the big book is very simple. I need to sit down. I need to do what I'm told. Um, I'm a good student. I can follow instructions. But when I get to the part of the destruction of self-centeredness, that is the part that is not easy. Because boy, oh boy, I am at my core self-centered and selfish, and I want what I want when I want it. Um, I have a whole lot of family members and coworkers that are going to attest to that one. Um, I want what I want when I want it, and I did not want to pay the price in the past. But I knew now, because I was able to have that experience that I had with my first step of getting on my knees and being open, being open and willing, I knew that I needed to continue. I just, I, you know, it was something that I just knew that I had to do this thing and see it through to the end, um, which I did. I, I, I continued working with my sponsor. I did what she told me to do. And I mean, really, even when I didn't want to do it, I just said, okay, I'm, I'm going to do it. Um, I used to call her, <laughs> she's going to laugh at this. I used to call her, you know, that lady that's helping me. Um, I would refer to her when I was speaking to my mother, you know, that lady, the one that's helping me. <laughs> and um, she has no idea to this day how much she really helped me with her patience and really with her kindness and loving and at one point that I wanted to quit and she told me that I was a um that I was an unfolding child of God and I really felt that and saw that in myself and was able to feel that deep within me um because she was so willing to give her time and her experience and strength and hope that she had for what she went through And then I started listening and speaking to other people that had recovery and getting to know and I started building up up a group of people that I would be able to call and talk to and, and bounce things off and, you know, say, you know, my sponsor has me doing this, you know, where are you in the steps? And I found some people that were around the same place as me and people that were a little ahead of me and I would talk to them on a regular basis and, and I would think, wow, you know, these people really want to talk to me, which I I found so um, welcoming. These are people that are around the country and that don't know me. And 
when I text them, they set up a time and they call me when they say they're going to call me. And it was just amazing. It was absolutely amazing to me. And I kept doing what my sponsor told me. I kept following her instructions. We read the book and we did it word for word. I couldn't understand why I needed to do it word for word. I thought I knew um, I thought I knew what the 12 steps were about because, of course, I had done them twice before. Well, really, I had done steps one through five twice before and never done anything else. And um, it was funny, even though I had read this book many times, I was finding things in it that I had never seen before. They were really opening up to me. Um, you know, um, I had an experience after I was... Um, recovered this summer where I was feeling restless, irritable, and discontent. And, um, you know, that's one of my favorite, another favorite part in the doctor's opinion on um, XXVIII, if anybody's writing page numbers down, um, 28 in the last paragraph, men and women drink, excuse me, men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. The sensation is so elusive that they admit that it is injur- that that is that admit it is injurious. They cannot, after a time, differentiate the true from the false. To them, their alcoholic life seems the only normal one. They are restless, irritable, and discontent until they can again experience the ease and comfort, which comes at once by taking a few drinks which they see others taking with impunity. So I was feeling restless, irritable, and discontent, and I really did not want to, I did not want to take a bite. I did not want to lose my abstinence. So I thought, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? I had heard somebody on the line who had had almost a year of um, entire abstinence, had lost their abstinence, and I was, I was, I thought, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? I called her, and she talked to me and told me what, what had happened, what she had done, and she shared her experience with me. And I started calling people and asking them, what do you do to it? What do you do to enlarge your spiritual life? Um, And they answered me, people that I didn't even know that were, I felt, you know, were, you know, really, you know, spoke on the line. And I really appreciated their recovery, their, their words of wisdom that I heard on the meetings every day. And they talked to me and told me what they did. And so what I did was I say I doubled down. I started, you know, um, getting more sponsees, um, reading with them more, talking to my fellows, working 10 steps when they came up. Um, I do an 11th step every single day. um, And I do speak with a person and share that with them every single day. And what happened I became less restless, irritable, and discontent, Um, and it was a miracle, and I didn't feel on shaky ground. I didn't feel um, the restlessness that I felt prior, and so I continued to read um, the book with others, and I may not have helped all of them to have recovery or become recovered, But what I was doing is I was helping myself, and that is a part of the puzzle that in the beginning I was unwilling to see. Um, I uh, 
wanted to just uh, read this one other portion that really, really, this is what helped me when I was feeling that is, it's on page 14, the last line. For if an alcoholic failed to perfect and enlarge his spiritual life through work and self-sacrifice for others, he could not survive the certain trials and low spots ahead. If he did not work, he would surely drink again. And if he drank, he would surely die. Then faith would be dead indeed. With us, it is just like that. And with me, it is just like that. Because if I do not work, I will. I know I will eat again. And I really don't want to go down that road again. Um, I'm going to share that I'm um, in, a, in a good weight for my body. Um, I went to my doctor uh, several days ago. And she said, wow, you know, you're doing great. Um, your BMI is in a perfect range. Um, you seem healthy. She's doing all the blood work that needs to be done. Um, and she was very satisfied with what, and I did share with her what I was doing, that I was a member of Overeaters Anonymous. And if she ever had anybody that needed some help in that area to please refer them to Overeaters Anonymous and to specifically to me if she wanted to. Um, she didn't seem that interested, but that's okay. Maybe I, maybe the next time I see her, she'll be more interested to see that I've maintained the weight, um, which I have now for um, about 10 months. I've been recovered for a year. I have um, November 24th was my year anniversary of entire abstinence. Um, and so I can be grateful that's never happened to me in my life ever, maybe as a child, but I've never maintained my weight, whether I was heavy, thin, or in between for that period of time. I was always going up or always going down, up or down, never the same. Um, and for that, I'm going to tell you all that that is a miracle. I never believed that that would happen for me. Um, I believed it could happen for other people, but not for me. And I, just like I believed that God was for other people and not for me. Um, I want to go back in my story a little bit and say I was raised with no religion whatsoever. I, um, my, parents, my parents had religion. My mother was raised going to an all-girls Catholic high school, uh, forced to. Her parents didn't attend church with her. And she felt that she did not want to force her children to attend church unless she did, and she was not attending anymore. Um, the only knowledge of church I had was when I would sleep at a friend's house on a Saturday night, and I went to church with them in the morning. So I had that. And then I had, when I was uh, a nurse working in hospice, I um, really got uh, some real sense of spirituality at that time with the pastor that I worked with and going to the different churches I went to and the, and the patients that I worked with. So that was another thing that had helped to open me. But I didn't believe at that time that God would be um, interested in my food problem. I believe God was interested in my, my husband's alcohol and my son's alcohol problem, but I didn't believe that he was interested in my food problem because that wasn't really that big of a deal. Um, I now know that my God, my higher power is very interested because I can 
do his will today if I am abstinent in a right-sized body that I'm not self-conscious and thinking about what's the next diet I'm going to do and my mind filled with all of the things that it was filled with. My obsession of the mind was just as bad as the physical allergy that I had and it took up so much of my time and energy. Um, People may ask, you know, I devote a lot of time in my mornings to my program. I speak to people usually every single morning. Um, I listen to the meeting every day. Um, I talk to sponsees. And I think they wonder, how do you have time to do that? Well, I have time to do that because my mind isn't filled with my obsessions anymore. I spent a whole lot of time on my obsessions. And um, those, you know, those took up a lot of time and energy. Now I have time and energy to do other things, which are the things that God would have me be and do. And I also spend time praying in the morning um, and meditating to try to figure out, I don't always have the answers. And that's why I call other people and speak to other recovered um, compulsive overeaters and other alcohol people in other 12-step programs that can help to guide me. Um, those are the people I believe they're, my God is sending words through them so that I can then in turn help somebody else um, because I feel my you know, what has happened is um, exactly what um, the topic of this talk is, um, the destruction of self-centeredness. Um, my self-centeredness through going through the 12 steps was destroyed. I can now be other-centered, and I can be other-centered on a daily basis, and I can do it lovingly, and I want to do it um, One of the best things that has happened is the relationship I have with my husband. (laughs) I'm going to get tearful. I feel so blessed to have him. Um, You know, there was a lot of years that weren't good for us, but deep down we always loved each other, and I didn't know if we were going to make it. And um, we have made it. Um, uh, uh, Just a quick story. Several years ago, we, you know, uh, my husband and I have a motorcycle, and we travel all over the country, and um, he takes me to all these beautiful places, and um, I always think wherever he takes me, I get a feeling of God being with me, whether it's, um, I'm sorry, I'm getting choked up, whether we went to the Grand Canyon, and we were there for sunrise, um, we've gone to um, Maine and gone to the Acadia Mountains and watched the sunrise there, and also seen the sunset at the Grand Canyon, um, places like uh, the Flight um, 94 from 9-11, the Memorial in Pennsylvania, um, the Four Corner States, all through the mountains in um, Colorado. Very beautiful places all around the Great Lakes. Um, I live on the greatest lake, Lake Superior, and going around that lake was absolutely spectacular, and I feel God in all of these places. And um, he took me to Dr. Bob's house. (laughs) And uh, this was before I was recovered, but I believe it was uh, one of the things I needed to go and experience so that I was open. And uh, we pulled up and I thought, well, this is just a house on a corner. And, um, you know, it was, there were people sitting on the porch. And um, the first thing I noticed was there are 12 steps leading up to Dr. Bob's house. Um, and, uh, it was very cool to notice that. 
and we went inside and we walked around and there was somebody getting their you know, 30 year medallion in one of the upstairs bedrooms and everybody welcomed us and um and uh was it was just I, I mean I truly can honestly tell you when I was there I I felt God there was there was no denying that and um when we left I thanked my husband for taking me to see to see that and he said thank you for helping me to get here and that was one of the moments that I knew that I wanted to be a better person for my husband and um and that's what helped me to get here today and every day I try to be a better person and be a, of service to God and to the my, the people around me and and to my family first I can do things for my husband on a daily basis that used to make me feel resentful. I mean, simple things, fixing his lunch, um, taking his clothes out of the dryer, things that I used to not like to do for him, but I did them anyways and had resentment. And now I am so happy and grateful to be able to help him. And that's not me. That wasn't as a result of anything that I did. That was a result of my going through these 12 steps and becoming recovered. Um, You know, I still get a little resentful about things, and that's when I need to um, start thinking, why am I feeling resentful, and um, work on a 10th step and um, talk it through with another person quickly and then resolutely turn myself to helping somebody else, whether it's my family or somebody in program or even my patients. Um, I have uh, much more patience with my patients than I ever had before. Um, one of the things that um, my coworkers know is when I come into work, um, that uh, if there's somebody who's difficult or nobody wants to take care of, that they can give that patient to me and that I, I will gladly take that person because most of the time that person is just probably afraid and they need somebody to give them a little bit of um, love and understanding. And um, nine times out of 10, if I go in with that attitude, um, I can help to ease their, ease their pain and discomfort of having to be in the hospital and to um, help them. And um, my coworkers have a much better coworker to work with as a result of these steps. Um, I used to be a bossy know-it-all. Um, I used to um, tell people what to do and uh, expect them to do it because I, you know, of course, had been there longer and um, I knew everything. I'm no longer that person today. Um, I uh, chose a job or I should say the job chose me through my higher power, that I work in the afternoon and a lot of my coworkers are younger than me. I was gonna say, in fact, most of them are. Um, and because most of, most of the time, if you're the older you get, you get a better shift and people think the better shift is during the day. And um, I feel so grateful that I can be open and learn from my young coworkers who have such knowledge. They don't have the years of experience that I do, but oh my God, they're so smart. And I am so grateful every day that I can learn from them and that I'm open and that I'm not a bossy know-it-all. I still am not perfect, but I am far from what I used to be. Um, I, um, I 
had to uh, make amends to a coworker that um, I felt was the bossiest and the biggest know-it-all on the face of the earth, that she was the problem and she was the reason I left my job and I was perfect and I did nothing wrong. And um, through this program, I was able to call her up and sit down face-to-face with her and um, she asked me, what does amends mean? Is this an apology? And I said, no, this is not an apology. I said, this is far deeper than apology. This is an amends. I said, and this is what I need to do for my 12-step program so that I don't compulsively eat anymore. And I was honest and I was open. And what I thought would take 10 minutes, I sat and talked to her for almost an hour. Um, And at the end of that, Um, And this was a person, and I'm going to tell you, and I know I've heard on the line um, one member say, you know, we know who we're resentful against. I mean, I, I, I mean, I grew those resentments. They were like my little babies, like my plants I grow now. You know, I tended to that resentment on a daily basis, gave it sunshine and water and let it grow to be this big, giant, huge, awful, giant, terrible resentment. And um, uh, I was able to look her in the eye and say I was, not say I was sorry, say, and you know, I never use the word sorry. I told her I regretted how I behaved. I regretted how I was and how I was as a coworker and how I showed up as a coworker. And I also told her I didn't want to do that in the future to my future coworkers. I also stated I had boundaries. I wasn't suggesting that she and I become friends because I didn't think that that was a good idea either. Um, I cried. I was able to hug her. And when I see her today, I can say hello. And she did not apologize to me or own up to anything that she had done in our work relationship that lasted, I I believe, 15 years. and she did do harm to me. And that's okay. She's, you know, it wasn't her amends. It was my amends I was making. And today I feel free. I've made my amends to my family, to my friends. There may be a few out there that I didn't remember. And then if they come up, when I see a person, I've I've had that happen recently where I saw somebody and it came up that, geez, maybe I had harmed them. And I said, you know, I just want to say, you know, this came up for me and I, I want to, you know, let you know I'm really sorry I behaved in that way. And they didn't even, re- they did not even remember the episode. And you know what, that was okay, but I was able to do that. Um, able to get that off my my um, my side of the street, I was able to sweep that away, and I hope that by continuing to work these twelve steps every day, by continuing to um, listen to meetings, um, I've been able to. Um, I started attending the meeting that had um, that was the the ten miles away from my home. I started attending that meeting. And um, when I got there, there were two women that um, were attending the meeting regularly, and both of them now today are recovered and happy and working the 12 steps, and we have new members in that meeting, 
and we were able to start a meeting that is actually literally two two minutes away from my house. And yesterday morning, there were three new people, and we had a total of six members at the meeting, and it was wonderful and beautiful, and I just hope that it can keep growing. Um, and I want to be, uh, I would like to ho hope that I can be a voice of recovery and help anybody that needs to hear the message and hope that by helping to keep the meeting going that if they can't hear the message from me that they'll be able to hear the message from somebody else at the meeting and maybe be able to listen to a phone meeting where they can hear the message. Um, I don't think it's important where anybody hears the message. I just think it's important that they do hear it. And that is what I want today. And even though I did not want to devote time and I really didn't think I wanted to help other people because I was so selfish in the beginning, I really just want to help people today. And I really want to help them to um, be able to go through the steps and to be able to live in the fourth dimension that I'm able to live in every day if I wake up and do the things that are um I don't want to say required, but do the things that I need to do to stay recovered today. Because I am recovered, but I'm not cured. And if I don't do this on a daily basis, um, I'm going to become restless, irritable, and discontent. And that could lead me back to that first bite. And I don't know that if I don't know that I could I don't know that I could come back again. I don't know that I'd be I don't know that I'd be afforded that luxury and I don't think I want to test it I um I don't want to test it so if I wake up and do the things that I need to do every day um and I'll tell you I'm not perfect and I certainly do do not do anything close to perfection um God shows me and helps me to go down the path I need to go down when I work things out with somebody else um and they can help me to see what I need to correct and how I need to do it because I do need other people. My brain is broken, and sometimes I need someone other than a recovered compulsive eater. Sometimes I need um, a physician. Sometimes I need a um, dietitian, a nutritionist, which I went to to help me with my food plan to figure out what it is that I need to eat every day because my abstinence isn't ever going to change, but I do believe my food plan may um, with my age and, you know, different health problems um, that um, people tend to acquire as they age. Um, I want to be prepared to be able to do that and that I can't do that on my own. I need somebody else's expertise in those areas. Um, if I need to talk, if a food seems to become a problem and I'm thinking that it might be an alcoholic food for me, that's I need to speak with my sponsor or another recovered um, compulsive overeater to discuss that and see what, what I need to do to figure out, is this really a, um, you know, uh, alcoholic food for me and I need to take it out of my food, out of my food plan. And I need to do that and I need to be, um, you know, aware uh, and I can just say, by the grace of my higher power, I am able to um, wake up in the morning. I woke up this morning and um, was nervous 
Um, I thought I wouldn't have anything to say, and it's coming on a minute before an hour, and I cannot actually believe that I spoke for the whole hour. Um, I hope I made sense. I hope that I helped at least one person. That was my goal. I thought if I could help one person, it would have been worth it. Um, and I think I've said enough, and with that, I will pass. Thank you so much, Lydia, for your beautiful and touching presentation this morning. Thank you for sharing your miraculous story of transformation with all of us. The share ID for today's presentation, 13,959. That's 13959. Lydia's contact information will be given at the conclusion of the recording, so you'll stay tuned for that, please. And we will now transition to a question and answer segment. You can pose a question to Lydia by pressing star 1 to unmute. Please give me your first name and first letter of your last name as well. Shlomi Hi, this Kanye. is Sherry Knapp from Massachusetts. Is that Sherry? Yes. Okay. Shlomi Khanna. Yes, yes, I have you. Thank you. Thank you. Marzi. Marzi. Anne-Marie M. Anne-Marie. This is Deb S. Deb S. This is Rachel from Israel. Rachel. Kim T. Kim T. Anyone else in this group? Sandy S. Sandy S. Barbara E. And Barbara E. Okay, excellent. Shlomit Hana, you are first. Everybody else, please mute your lines. Thank you. Thank you so much, Leah. And thank you, Lydia, for your phenomenal presentation. Um, it was just, it was so helpful, and your humility just really shines through. It's, it's really quite unbelievable. So thank you so, so much. So my question is, um, I'm coming back from relapse. Um, I guess I'm about two weeks in. Thank you, God. And I wanted to know, um, what do you do systematically every day to work your program? In other words, do you have a system? What are the actions that you take every single day to work your program? Thank you. Okay. So one of the things I do every day is I say my prayers before I get out of bed. Um, sometimes it's only the third step prayer that I get out because sometimes I like to sleep. Um, but I do say at least one prayer before my feet hit the floor every morning. Um, systematically, my days are usually the same during the week. Um, I, my son needs to get up by 6 or 6.15 and I get him up and he is getting in the shower and I'm able to do, I, I have a period of time where I, you know, I'm, I'm getting things ready for my own food prep and my family's. And um, I do that. And by the time I'm getting that rolling, I can, I call into the meeting and I listen every morning. Not many mornings go by that I don't listen. Um, I don't usually have any phone calls scheduled till after 7.30 when my son gets on the bus. I do sometimes, if necessary, if people need to speak earlier, I will. 
um, whether it's a um, person I'm doing a review with or a sponsee, I will do calls earlier. Um, then I continue on with listening to the meeting. If I have scheduled phone calls, I do my phone calls with people. Um, I listen. I, you know, if something stands out to me in the meeting, if somebody says something, there's people that I do know, uh, I'll text them, especially if I really appreciate a share I've heard. I feel that's just keeping in contact with people. Um, I have developed uh, what I like to call a God squad of people that I know that if I'm having trouble or if I need something I can talk to. So I do that. I do um, an 11-step train. I like to do that in the morning. Usually I have a partner that we have a prearranged time. Um, I know that's not listed in the big book that we need to do that, but that's just a part of the program that I find helpful because um, if I know that I have the accountability of speaking to another person, I will sit down at night when I get home from work and I will go through my day and I write my gratitudes. I write um, who I helped. I write what did I accomplish. I write down um, where I was resentful, selfish, dishonest, or afraid. I write down what could I have done better. At that time, I also pray, especially if I have fears during the day. I, if I haven't prayed about it during the time that it happens, I pray about it and say, okay, you know, this is my fear here. Um, what would you have me be? And then I kind of look at where God would have me, um, what corrections I need to make. And if I need to make an apology, um, if I have, I would like to think that I am doing this throughout the day as the big book states, I, I stop and pause throughout my day. And if I realize I've said something to somebody I shouldn't have, I would like, to, I try, let's, you know, emphasis on try here. I try to apologize immediately so these things aren't building up, but sometimes they do. And sometimes I don't notice them until I come home at night or first thing in the morning and I'm reflecting back on my day. So then I, I write them down and then I, of course, I'm going to apologize the next opportunity that I have. Um, and I go through all of that and that is one of the things that helps me in my program when I'm at work. Um, you know, so I'm going through my morning. I do all this. I usually go to work at one o'clock in the afternoon. Sometimes I go at 10 in the morning. I go at one o'clock in the afternoon. I have hopefully gotten all the things I need to get done for in my day. I normally work one to nine. Sometimes I get done earlier. Sometimes I work much later. Um, I will tell you that um, my food is very easy. I eat the same thing every day for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I know that might sound crazy to some people, but that's what works for me. And um, I am able to prepare food if I need to, to help out my husband and son. My husband cooks dinner for him and my son every day. I usually am home one weekday during the week and I can get extra things done and maybe do more sponsee calls during that, that day. And um, I have my weekends, which um, I go to my Saturday morning and face-to-face -face OA meeting, which helps me. And I do... Um, listen to this Sunday special edition every Sunday. So I do a lot of program and it is what um, helps me to be a better person, it helps me to be a better mother, a better grandmother, a better wife, and uh, definitely a better coworker. 
and hopefully I can help some of my fellow travelers along the way too. So that is how, that is basically what I do. And problems happen to me every day, bad things happen. Um, but because the bad things happen, and if I still follow this um, program, this, you know, these instructions, I can weather the bad things and I don't need to eat and I don't need to use anything else. I don't need to con try to control people or others. I don't need to drink alcohol, which I, I never did state, but I haven't drank in 15 years. And um, I don't need to smoke. I don't need to put anything from outside of myself in to fill that hole. I'm continually allowing my higher power to fill that hole inside of me that I always had. So that's how I work my program every day. I hope that helped. Thank you very much for your question. And Sherry S., your question, please. Star one to unmute. Sherry S. Hi, this is Sherry S. from Massachusetts, recovered. Thank you, Lydia, for your share today, uh, this morning. It was really good. I want to ask a little bit more about, um, I heard that you said you did your, your 11th step. You did like a chain at night. You kind of did a little bit of inventory at night when you got home. Um, the 12th step, I'm not really sure. Um, I wanted to get a little bit more clarity on that, on the 12th step, on what you do to help others on the phone in the morning. Um, and then the 10th step, how do you do your 10th step? Do you, do, do you wait for it to gather it up during the day do you, um, and do it at night all with your 11th step? Or how do you do that? So a little bit more on your 10th sure, sure. step and 11th step. Thank you. And I'll even speak to the 12th step. What I do during the day is um, I have sponsees. Um, at this time, I only have one sponsee, and that's okay. That's all God wants me to have at this moment. Um, I have um, a couple of recovered sponsees that I still keep in touch with, so I do speak with them. Um, I speak with my, my sponsee that I have currently, um, and, you know, if I do outreach calls, too, if I hear a number on the line, I do have, I'm part of this group, me, where there's an outreach group, and if people are asking for outreach or 10 steps, I respond to those. As far as my own 10 steps, if I can do it during the day, if something comes up and I'm available to call somebody, I will do it as immediately. I know some of the things and some of the people I've spoken to, you know, they don't have to be, they don't have to be written out. They don't have to be a long drawn out process. Uh, my sponsor says, you know, she, she was taught, you know, doing, you know, multiple 10 steps daily just to get that um, so that we don't have the buildup of human emotion. Um, sometimes I don't have that luxury when I'm at work. Um, if something is very irritating to me or bothering me, um, I can, what I do is I pause and I can pray about it in the moment. A lot of times just by doing that, it goes away. Um, then when I'm doing my review, when I write down what I write down about my day, which is that, you know, that it's not stated in the big book that you need to write down your review every day. That's just a practice I do because that works for me and it makes me accountable or I would not look at my day. 
So I need, I, I, you know, it's just a, that's just a tool that I happen to use. And the, what I do t- talking to another person is also a tool because that's not a requirement in the big book. I do that so that I have someone I can and speak to. And then if something that I, you know, if a 10th step that I didn't do, I can talk to them about it and get rid of that briefly. And I'm just going to share this morning, I did my 11th step and I had written the whole thing out. And at the very end, I realized, oh, geez, I did have a resentment yesterday morning and did a 10th step on it first thing in the morning. And guess what? I totally forgot about it. So there is something, and I'm going to use the word magical about doing them um, because it gets rid of that built up human emotion that used to cause me to eat. Um, there's no denying. And it, it, that's what, what it was. Um, I would allow the little things in life to get to me. It wasn't the big things. It was the little things. So by doing this daily and working on it, and it doesn't always look the same every day because different things happen on different days, but I'm open, I'm willing And I'm going to, um, you know, if something stops working for me, I'm going to try to figure out with another uh, recovered person how to, you know, make it look differently for me or work better. You know, whether that's my sponsor, my sponsor was very generous of her time and that's why I want to help others. But she also um, instilled in me in the beginning of getting other people because I cannot make her my God and rely on her to answer my questions. I need to rely on my higher power and um, I need to rely on my higher power first of all, and then um, my fellows second of all. And, and that's, that's what I do on a daily basis. I hope that helps. Thank you, Sherry S for the question. Maura Z, your turn to ask a question, please. Good morning. Thank you, Leah. Sorry I was muted. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you for your service, Leah. Thank you, Lydia, for your share. I, I missed the first half of it, so I'll have to go back and listen, but I really appreciate what you shared, what I did hear. Um, you mentioned that you reached out and spoke to other fellows to ask them specifically how they um, um, strengthened and broadened their um, spiritual connection with their higher power. Would you share some of those with me? Oh, with absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, and, and it's funny because I, 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 I called a lot of different people and I got the same answer from a lot of different people. <laughs> I even Googled, how do you strengthen? <laughs> you know, Google comes in handy for a lot of things. And, um, but I didn't get the answer from Google that I got from the people that are on this phone line. Um, what they shared with me is that they prayed, they helped others, when in doubt, vigorous work with another compulsive overeater is the answer. That, you know, and that is what really stood out to me. Um, that's, and that's when I decided, you know, I need to have, um, you know, take on more sponsees and do the work harder. Um, but that also, in turn, if the sponsees are not willing to do the work, I can't do the work for them. I just want to say that because that that happens all the time. 
Um, and then it's just so interesting, you know, just really doing the things, you know, doing 10 steps, praying, meditating, keeping in touch with others, um, but really vigorous work with others and really praying and finding out what is God's will for me. I, um, I, through that, I, you know, I know I used to um, rest on the fact that my job was helping others. So I really didn't need to help others. <laughs> and so I could, I could get by, you know, God was going to accept, well, I'm a nurse. I help people every day. Well, you know, that really isn't the case. Um, That is my job. I, you know, I'm required to go there and take care of people. Um, But I can do it in a different way today. And, and I think that was what I learned from people that when I talked to them, um, you know, I can show up differently today if I continue to work with others, pray, meditate and when i feel restless irritable and discontent that is the time that i need to double down and i need to work vigorously with another you know even if it's calling somebody that is recovered and say you know i need help um either way or helping somebody else it's going to help me ultimately those two things are going to help me and um, i never wanted to ask for help before so it's a whole new world for me but um i think that's all i That's all that's coming to me to share, so I'm going to say that's what I got. Thank you. Thanks, Maura Z. Anne-Marie M., your question, please. Good morning. This is Anne-Marie M. in South Carolina. Thank you, Leah, for your service, and especially thank you so much, um, Lydia, uh, for your example, your power of example. Um, My question is, can you tell us, Tell us more about your non-recovery, um, like what what it was like binging. Were you a binge eater or were you a grazer? Or were you a closet eater, so to speak? Um, if you could, you know, elaborate elaborate a little bit on that. Sure, sure, I can. I um I was all of the above. I was a binger. Um, I also I didn't. I didn't find it necessary to eat in secret. I had a lot of compulsive overeaters around me and we liked to eat together. Um, My last job, we ate a lot at work. That was one of the things that we did and we would cook food for each other and um, bring it and we would eat all day long from the minute we started till the minute we left. Um, I worked in in a surgery setting and the surgeries were very quick. They were like 15 minutes and I would... My path was um, once I dropped the patient off in the little recovery area, I would come through to go back to the operating room and I would stop in the, in the break room and grab a bite to eat. And then I'd go into the operating room and I'd get the next patient and I would do that all day long, stopping and eat throughout, um, you know, and then of course stopping to eat a huge lunch. And then I would, um, what I would do then is I would restrict for the rest of the night when I would get home because I had binged for the entire day. So I did a little bit of both restricting and binging. I was never a restrictor in the sense that I was anorexic because I always ate. Um, I did have a a period of time where I was an exerciser um, and I did use laxatives, but um, that wasn't 
a long period of time, and I didn't even know that was a thing. I didn't even know that that was um, that exercise bulimia was a thing or using laxative was a thing. I thought I came upon that whole thing myself. I never spoke to anybody else about that ever. In fact, I don't even know if I've ever told anybody about that till this moment. Um, but I did that at a period in my life. And as far as eating, I would go through the whole phase of um, I was either on a diet or I was off a diet. I would be eating everything all the time or I was eating according to the whatever diet I was eating. And then I would have periodic binges during that dieting time. And then also I would also have um, these ideas of I would be a, um, I had this one idea. I was at a decent weight when I started this, that I was going to be an intuitive eater. Well, I was eating intuitively. I got rid of my scale and I kept noticing um that my scrub pants at work were getting a little shorter. <laughs> I thought they were shrinking the pants on me. Well, goodness gracious, I um, stood on the scale and I had gained 30 pounds in a matter of like no time, just with my little intuitive eating um, experiment. So that's that's what my binging years, days, um, that's what it looked like. It was It was all over the map. And I am so... So, and I never believed that a person needed to eat three meals a day. I thought that was kind of insane. Like, who does that today? Um, you know, we're supposed to eat six times a day. What What are you talking about? I need to eat three meals a day. So um, that's what works for me today is I eat three meals a day and that's it. And I don't eat in between. And um, if I'm hungry, you know, which I really don't anymore, but in the beginning, I would think, you know what, that's okay because I'm going to have another meal and I get to eat my next meal and that's okay. And I enjoy my food. I enjoy what I eat. It's not that I'm, you know, I actually like what I eat and I feel um, nourished and I feel healthy with the food I eat now today. So um, that's what my my binging years and years sound like or look like, looked like um, from what I can remember. So thank you, Anne-Marie, for the question. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you. Okay, Deb S., your question, please. Star 1 to unmute, Deb S. One more shout-out for Deb S. Okay, in the interest of time, we'll hey, move on. Hey, I, unmu- I yes. unmuted about three different times, but it just... Okay, I go right ahead with your question, please. So sorry about that. Thank I don't you. know why it didn't mm-hmm. work. Okay. Um, thanks, Leah and Lydia, so much for your service today. The question I have is, after the food, the second part of step one with your, you know, my life is unmanageable. Did you ever access, you know, have access to that or feel that that was the case? And how did you, how did you work through that? I'm wanting to ask a few more recovered OAers how they dealt with or deal with now any unmanageability that they notice in their life. And I've heard a lot of good things already that probably relate, but I wanted to ask you that specifically. Sure, sure. Thanks. Well, the unmanageability, um, 
You know, when I, I really was, and, you know, I was brought to my knees for my step one experience. Um, and I, you know, I would say that God brought me to my knees. I don't know. I don't know what happened. But I knew in my innermost self at that moment that I was a compulsive overeater and that the only way that I was going to not have unmanageability was through surrendering. And I got on my knees and I surrendered that day. Um, November 23rd, I believe it was. I, I'm not sure if that was, yeah, because November 24th, I got on my knees and my life was unmanageable because nobody knew how I was going to show up um, before recovery. Was I going to be the dieting Lydia? Was I going to be the eating Lydia? Was I going to be the crabby Lydia? Or was I going to be the really nice people-pleasing Lydia? People didn't know who I was going to show up. So, of course, my life was unmanageable. My kids didn't know how I was going to show up. My husband didn't know how I was going to show up. Um, I still have unman the way I look at unmanageability today, and I, I hope this helps, is my life, there are things that are out of my control. Um, this past week, my best friend was diagnosed with breast cancer. Um, I went to a funeral of an old family friend um, yesterday who died at 56 years old. Those are unmanageabilities. I can't control those things happen, what happens. I can't control if people accept my amends. But what I can control is that I can work my program. I can stick to my food plan. And even though there's all these unmanageable things happening around me, I can be okay. And I can be okay knowing that my higher power is leading me to do the things that I need to do today, even if I don't do them perfectly, um, which I never will because I'm a human, um, I can just keep showing up and trying in a recovered person's way that I can wake up just like everybody else and it's my choice if I'm going to go down the road of doing the things I need to do for my program or if I'm going to throw that all, you know, throw that all away and live the life of unmanageability, um, addiction, illness, sickness, because I certainly am not a help to anybody when I am a sick person. So I look at my life as it was unmanageable before I was recovered. And today it is manageable only on a given 24-hour basis if I do the things that are required of me to do that is written out in the big book of AA, I can find manageability even when things around me seem terribly unmanageable. Terribly unmanageable. But I can manage them because I have the help of my higher power, my fellows, and the words written in that big book. And that's how my life is manageable today. So I hope that answers the question. Thank you, Deb S. Okay. We have a few minutes before wrapping up the meeting. Let's try to get in as many questions as we can. Raquel, your turn, please. Star one to unmute. Good morning. morning. Thank you so much for your service, Leah. And thank you, Lydia, for this wonderful, wonderful share. I I will listen to it 
not just one more time. There are a few people I want to sit by me and listen together because it's amazing, really amazing. My question is uh, as follows. Um, God has sent my way out of NA two people uh, that have another angle on this food relationship. One is bulimic, one is one is um, um, a binge eater and, and a restrictor, what you called. And, and one of them has already overcome drugs and alcohol before she even realized she's got a problem with food. I'd, li- I'd like you very much, if you can, say a few words about how do you see, because you too spoke about alcohol, you know, and, and mm-hmm. I keep thinking that I think that um, food is the drug of the coward. I consider myself a coward. I would go for something that really knocks you out. But how come this, how do you see it being so much harder? You know, do you understand what I'm asking, the comparison? I do, I do, I do. And one of the things I've heard recently is our last addiction is the hardest. Uh-huh. Um, you know, uh, I was able to give up drinking because I still could use the food uh-huh. to ease my discomfort. Um, my restlessness, my irritableness, that even though food probably was my first thing, um, I went through other things. Um, thank God I never went to the dr- went to drugs. Thank God. Um, I can be thankful for that. Um, I could have even went down a gambling road. God, I mean, I could be addicted to anything. I mean, I knit. I used to knit addictively. So, I mean, there are things, you know, <laughs> yeah, let's just say it can be a lot of things. Um but I believe that food is, if it's the last, the last addiction, it might be harder. But I think with any of those, it doesn't matter what it is if the instructions are followed precisely as written in the big book, they will get recovery. And one of the things that I like to think is we need to, when we're sponsoring people, meet them where they are. We need to evaluate what is working for them and what is not working for them um, and meet them where they are. Um, you know, I have not ever fired anybody I've been sponsoring. Um, they've decided they don't want me, which is fine. I, I, I mean, I, I may not be the right sponsor for people because I, you know, I just might, whatever reason, it doesn't matter. I'm not the right person to guide them, but I'm the right person to, to guide somebody. And there are people that have, you know, I've been able to guide, but I do need to meet them where they are and, and help them through the 12 steps precisely as it's written in the book. And that's all I can do. And that's all any of us can do. So that's all I have. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Raquel. Kim T., time for your question, please. Star one to unmute. Thanks. Thanks, Lydia, and thanks, Leah. Really appreciated your share today. And... I especially appreciate what you just said. No one knew how I was going to show up. I just uh, went through step five and six and seven, and now I'm working on step eight with my sponsor. And what I'm finding is that in the middle of the night, I'll wake up, and I'm just so fearful. 
and I stay awake for a while, and I try, I try to pray to, to get back to sleep, but I'm fearful about a myriad of things, right? My head is just racing. So I don't know if you have any thoughts on that or if you've experienced that, and if so, what you've done. I had a lot of fear um, when I had to make my amends. But what I found was that, um, well, first of all, I'm going to tell you I made my easiest amends first, which was to my mother, which I'm sure some people are going to find that interesting, but that was my easiest amends I had to make. Um, and then I did my hardest amends, which was with a coworker. And I had so much fear about meeting her and opening up to her and speaking to her. So what I did was I wrote it out and shared it with my sponsor. And I really, I mean, I remember I was shaking when I had to call her and I called her at work. Um, you know, I actually disguised my voice because the person answering the phone is one of my best friends and I didn't want him to recognize my voice and ask me, what are you calling her for? Um, and I just had to really go through and, and face the fear and do it anyways. And that's, that's all I can say is I had a lot of fear around that. I had another amends um, with a physician I worked with for 13 years that I, I knew he wouldn't meet me. I wrote him a letter and I was still a little fearful that it wasn't enough of an amends, um, you know, because I would get these ideas, oh, maybe I'm not recovered, maybe I really didn't do them right. Um, and I was at a book reading. He happened to be sitting behind me, and I thought, oh, here's my perfect opportunity. I can speak to him face-to-face. -face. And um, I stood up, and I was ready to say hello and speak to him, and he turned his whole body and his face, and he didn't want to talk to me. And you know what? That's okay. Um, it's, it's all right. I have no more fear where that's concerned because I know that if it was meant to be for me to talk to him face to face, it would have, it would have happened that day. So I think sometimes God knows what's right for us and what's best for us. Um, because when I was running the show, um, yeah, it didn't work out so good. And I had way more fear than I have today. So I think just continuing and just, you know, sometimes they say working the steps like your hair is on fire, just, just, Make sure you check everything with your sponsor and get your ninth step amends done. And and like they say, before you're halfway through, you'll be amazed. And like it says in the book, you will be amazed before you're halfway through. And the fear will be lifted and you will be able to look uh, people in the eye and hold your head up high. So that's all I have for that. Thank I you. hope that helped. Thanks, Kim, for the question. We have... Uh almost five minutes before we need to close. So let's try to get in these two last questions, please. Sandy S., your turn. Hi. Thank you, Leah, and thank you, Lydia. My question is about step two. I really do not believe in my heart of hearts that there's a power greater than myself that could restore me to sanity. I mean, I wish, I pretend I believe. And uh, I heard someone on the line saying they're a recovering higher power. That is definitely my situation. So I would like you to share your experience, strength, and hope that why you believe or how you came to believe that a power greater than yourself could restore you to sanity and how that 
you know, it's like really embodied in you. The first step totally embodied with me. I know. Yeah. I would Thank you, Sandy, for posing so the question. So I guess, I guess what I'm going to say to that is, um, you know, it doesn't have to be in the idea of a God. A higher power can be whatever you choose it to be. Just like Bill says in his story, how about your own conception of God? Um, I use a lot of other, th- I have a, a very vast idea of what my higher power is. My higher power is great and it's huge and I have no idea because I can't comprehend it. It's too big for me to comprehend. I know I see glimpses of it in beauty. Um, if I am ever in doubt of my higher power, I um, can go the half a mile uh from my home to Lake Superior, and I know there's God. I know there is a God, and it. I don't have to, you know, okay, there's a higher power, there's a greater spirit. You can use whatever words you want to use to describe it. But that lake is definitely bigger than me and greater than me, and it has the power to take away life. Um, so if I look at something like that, then who's to say there isn't something greater than me that can come in and help me with Help me solve all of my problems. And who am I to say that there's no God, which is also in the big book. Who am I to say that there is no God? So that's where that's how I was able to get through step two. So that's what I have on that. Thank you. Thanks, Sandy S. And our final question for the morning comes from Barb, Barbara E. Good morning, Leah. Thank you for your service, Lydia. Thank you for your superior presentation. I actually had two questions, so you could pick or choose. The first one is, I've heard, how do you know when you've reached bottom? And the response was, of course, when you stop digging. Do you remember when yours was? And my second question was, when did the promises begin to come true for you? And you could pick or choose. I would be happy and thrilled to hear any of them. Okay, I think I can answer both of them really quickly. Um, how did I know I was at my bottom? I knew I was at a healthy weight. I had um, investigated this program, and I knew in my heart of hearts that if I didn't really surrender and give it a try, that I was going to be doomed. I knew that if I gained the weight back again, that I didn't think I was going to be able to lose it. And of course, there's a lot of eyes in there. I was at that point, I, 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 I knew I was at my bottom. I knew I couldn't go on. Um, and as far as when did the promises start to come through, I'm going to tell you, I had a, I had an immediate spiritual experience with step one. I had more of an experience with step three. Um, when I was doing my step nine amends, I had tremendous um, experience and the promises came true for me uh, before I was halfway through with my step nine amends and they did come true. They weren't all perfectly true and sometimes they're, you know, you can look at the promises and you could pick them apart, but they're basically all true and have been since, but they will not remain true if I don't continue to work the program. And I do know that for, for a fact. I can't rest on my laurels. I can't um, fail to enlarge my spiritual life. Um, and 
I need to continue to do the work that's required of me and so that I can be of maximum service to God and those around me. And that's when they came true halfway through. And I, and I just knew, I, I, I can't even explain it. It was, um, things were lifted, things, the whole world looked different. I was able to look at things in a different way, um, to view things and see things differently than I ever saw them before in my life. And I still, I still can see them that way. And sometimes when I start to go back to my old ways, I need to be reminded. And that's why I have people around me to help me um, to be reminded. And um, uh, that's what I got today, Barbara. Thank you for your question. It thank you. my heart. Thank you, Barbara. And all who post questions this morning. And indeed, you touched my heart this morning, and I'm sure that of many. Thank you for giving so much of yourself this morning, Lydia T. And we're going to close from page 164. You'll notice it's in a chapter entitled A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. Answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is a great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past freely of what you find and join us we shall be with you in the fellowship of the spirit and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny may god bless you and keep you until then